You're now listening to the sound of sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan. I am, of course, your humble and obedient host. We've got Ben Solzer, associate producer extraordinaire, right there. Hello. Hi, Ben. Hey, why don't you introduce Pastor Jake Menzel, the pastor who's a master of sanity and the other contributor to this show. Tell people who he is, what his deal is, get him talking. I will. You basically already did it, though. He's his I'm deal right is here. To, yeah. Hi. Hi, Jake. Go ahead and introduce him, Ben. Uh, How you doing? I'm Jake. Yay. I claim victory. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> you claimed victory. Correct. Well, speaking of claiming victory, the woke mob has claimed victory over Dr. Seuss. Ben, you came up with a nickname for these people the other day. I'm trying to remember what it was. Wokenuts. The Wokenuts. <laughs> we were playing a game with fruit. Anyway. <laughs> okay. There you go. (laughs) What are wokenuts? Woke people. (laughs) People who promote woke ideology. Right. Is that pun on coconut? Yeah. Yes. It's like it rhymes with coconut. It 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 took me a minute to actually figure out that it was. And it makes them sound like they're nuts. Right. Yeah. Ah. Here's the real story The Cat in the Hat has not been canceled, The Grinch has not been canceled. The Sneetches, somehow, are still with us. Those two guys that are holding the nuclear holocaust things in their hands as they stand on a wall, I think they're still with us. You guys remember One that? One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, still there. Yep. The butter battle beetle paddle battle. Mm-hmm. Fox and socks. Fox and socks, still here. The Dr. Seuss, uh, I should get this right, Dr. Seuss Enterprises, the official manager of books published under the moniker Dr. Seuss, has canceled six books. They've pulled them from circulation after complaints from various liberal organizations and schools and things like that. The most popular of those books are If I Ran the Zoo and the one that I think most people probably remember and have some affection for if they liked Dr. Seuss or grew up with him at all is, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. And both of these books have, by today's standards, pretty racist caricatures of various ethnicities in them. There's a black guy that basically looks like a monkey, not something that Dr. Seuss needs to be particularly proud of, I don't think. And I'm, I'm not being sarcastic about that. It is pretty unfortunate when you see it. But then there's some other things that I don't personally feel as bad about. There's a Arabic gentleman who, horror of horrors, is wearing a stereotypical turban and has a, beard has a long beard. There's a Chinese man with slanty eyes and a dorky little hat. And I think he's eating rice with chopsticks. There's six images of varying degrees of offensiveness like that across these six books. And they have all been pulled from circulation. And so the woke mob has been appeased. Dr. Seuss didn't need to get canceled because a lot of his stuff was pretty fun and harmless and kids love it and everybody loves it. And President Obama himself on National Reading Literacy Day or whatever it's called, would, would, which ha- happens to fall on Dr. Seuss's birthday. We talk about how Dr. Seuss, Seuss inspired 
kids to read and stuff like that. I think Trump did the same thing. Vice President Kamala Harris at some point in her career. I don't know when. Yes, yes. All the conservative pundits are digging up all the quotes where (laughs) people used to like Dr. Seuss. I guess on Dr. Seuss's birthday slash National Literacy Day, whatever it's called, this year, the Biden administration did not mention Dr. Seuss. And that was taken by certain conservative outlets as Fox News, as the movement of cancel culture. The point is, these six books have been removed from circulation. Everything else is just fine. You can still buy the Lorax, the Sneeches, the Grinch, the Cat, whatever your personal favorite flavor of Dr. Seuss. The thing, though, is the woke mob is still coming after Dr. Seuss. And there's still all these think pieces about why Dr. Seuss is bad and why he's racist, why he's a part of systemic racism. And this is because he's white-centric, basically, which Mm -hmm. just means there's not a lot of people of color among the Sneeches. Right. Do you think Sound of Sanity is white-centric, Nathan? Yes. I mean, I I think they would say so. So we are, in fact, perpetuating white supremacy as we do this podcast. And I'm not being sarcastic. That's that's what these people would argue. There's a broader push to cancel Dr. Seuss altogether. Obviously, the Dr. Seuss Enterprises has some good reasons for maybe not wanting to see Dr. Seuss canceled altogether. So Mm -hmm. they canceled these six books that nobody cares about, although probably some of our listeners do care about and think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. But the other four books you let, read them to us oh it's I, if i ran the zoo it's pretty cool Miguelie get pool racist <clears throat> thank you you're canceled ben soon tight go directly to jail <laughs> uh on beyond zebra which has an exclamation point scrambled egg super which also has an exclamation point and the cat's quizzer these books have all been canceled i've not heard of any of those and i grew up we were pretty seuss centric family like <laughs> yeah i mean i have Dr. Seuss books memorized from reading them so many times to my kids. I'm pretty sure I have everything somewhere. Oh, really? Well, Jake, uh, if you... I don't, I don't recognize those titles, though. So. If you've got a copy of, and to think that it happened on Mulberry Street, you could sell that baby for, right now on Amazon Marketplace, is going for $1,400. Uh, that's amazing. This is might be your window. I think you think I'll just hold on. You'll just hold on to it. And to think that Jake kept, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. <laughs> and to think that I saw it in Jake's closet. Yeah, to think that I saw it, and to think that I... Anyway, <laughs> what do you guys think? Should Dr. Seuss have been canceled? Well, he wasn't exactly canceled. The people who owned the rights to his books pulled some of them from publication. Right. And they did it, probably, presumably, to save him from total cancellation. Right. Right. So the real question is, was that the right move or not on the part of the people who ran Dr. Seuss Enterprises, right? Yeah. So that's my question. Was that the right move or not on behalf of the people who run Dr. Seuss Enterprises? No. Or, I mean, yeah, I think it's not actually going to appease the Bokanuts, as we affectionately call them. It's not going to appease people with that ideology. It's actually just going to make them hungrier. It's like making the monster stronger, giving him protein. You look scary. Let's feed you. That always helps monsters. Well, when you feed the monster, he wants more. When you give a mouse a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Another book that's probably white-centric and deserves to be canceled. Probably. Yeah, no, I think that this would be my basic assertion. The visceral learning of this lesson happened for me when I did the open letter to Ray, which was... If people don't know the story, a satirical piece that I wrote several years ago now 
about Rey from Star Wars and how she was a feminist and she should not be a feminist. And I put in all these pop culture references to my article. And I thought that maybe that would make it go down easier for people who are feminists. But then some publication or somebody, I think a Star Trek writer, got a hold of the article. It hit Twitter and it really spread. The mob was not happy with me. They wanted to, we didn't, we didn't have cancel culture back then, but they wanted to cancel me. And it was a nasty brouhaha and there was thousands of tweets and there were emails and there were think pieces written. Hundreds of thousands of page views and... Page views. And it took years, I think, for the page Attacks views. on our website. Attacks on our website, malicious login attempts. It was a big thing. I think you can listen to one of our early Mach 1 Sanity episodes. If we didn't have somebody on our team whose literal job is cybersecurity, we'd, we'd have been wrecked. Yep. That was around the time that I was told I needed to change my password from password one two three four five or whatever it was, <laughs> which I did. So don't try and log on to <laughs> my login right now, folks at Warren Media. Anyway, it was a big nasty thing, and it was a very visceral lesson for me. I was genuinely I, I was making some points about sex as biology, sex as destiny, sex as God's plan for us, and. They weren't points that were popular in culture, but I dropped thousands of movie references and I showed how nerdy I was and how cool I was. And I really thought that that would go some way towards making the medicine go down. That'd be the sugar that would make the spoonful of sugar that would make the medicine go down. And man, did it not matter at all. Mm -hmm. Nobody cared. It turns out their consciences were pricked. I was the aroma of death to them and they hated it. They really just wanted to tear it to pieces. And it was a really good visceral lesson in you don't try and appease the mob. You don't try and Trojan horse virtue. You mm-hmm. don't try and sneak it past people by dressing it up in, in different clothing. Don't try and Trojan horse virtue. Does that mean that you need to make everything as horrible as possible and as off-putting? Does that mean that you have to rub? No, that's not what I was saying just saying don't try and pretend you're not who you are you're you're a christian you're the aroma of life to those who are being saved you're the aroma of death to those who are perishing it's what god made you to be and you you don't you don't have to dress that up in fancy clothes you you just and you have to cater to everybody's fears anxieties and expectations right you don't have to do that and it, it's actually counterintuitive you'll actually lose the respect of the very people that yeah suddenly you're catering to them which means either you're weak or you're a condescending jerk who thinks they're weak. Right. Or both. Yeah. And so well, now you've given away the game. Right. Exactly. Very visceral lesson in that. And I think this is what Dr. Seuss Enterprises is trying to do. I can imagine in a boardroom someone arguing that it's a really decent strategic move. We don't want to have to cancel the Grinch. We don't have to want to have to cancel the cat in the hat. They're coming for everything. They say Dr. Seuss is white centric and he just needs to go. They, they want to get rid of them. So let's choose these six catalog titles that nobody really cares about. One of them, maybe arguably some people kind of care about. Ben, for whatever weird reason, cares about the zoo one. That's great. But That's in great. our in our Dr. Seuss Enterprises boardroom, we're not, we're not too worried about losing our zoo patrons. We are worried. Did the devil's advocacy alarm go off? Are you just playing the devil's advocate? No. 
Not at all. An explanation. I'm just giving an explanation. We're 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 not we're not too worried about. I don't think it's going to go off this episode, Jake. I I would be because this is straightforward. I would be shocked if this if this episode. And, and we're just saying, let's feed the mob these six titles that don't matter that much, and that'll protect us our money titles. And what I would say to them is, good luck. Yeah, it's not going to get you very far. Yeah. And this episode's not going to go any farther because, as I said, the oh my stars! That is a shock. The devil's advocacy alarm. Our old friend went off again. Ben, weren't you supposed to? Didn't you tell me you were going to cancel the devil's advocacy alarm? No, I, I never said that. That's not very sensitive to devils. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why I didn't say that. Okay, you're right. Well, good. You don't have to go to jail. It was a trick question. <laughs> well, folks, I don't know. Who wants to be the devil's advocate? Of course, the devil's advocacy segment of our show is where someone has to argue for the opposite opinion. We are saying don't feed the woke mob. And I guess the devil has to say, do feed the woke mob. Sounds like, I don't know, Jake, you want to you wanna take a crack at it? Yeah, I'll take a crack at Let it. Let me just say the ground rules for this. Sometimes we have really vicious devils. Someone's portraying a really unsympathetic caricature of the argument. For, for certain rhetorical reasons, that might be good on our show sometimes, and we do it sometimes. But in this case, we, we, we do want to have a real discussion. And, and maybe the devil will even win. I don't know. But I don't know. Jake is going to do his best to... We, we talked about this off mic. We knew the devil's advocacy alarm was going to go It was going to be off. me. Yeah. We knew it was going to be Jake. And, and you're, you're going to do your best to do a, do a sympathetic argument for why you might do this kind of thing. Yeah. So as I take up the mantle of the devil's advocate, I'm going to take up the mantle as well of the CEO or the decision maker at Dr. Seuss Enterprises here. My response to you is, I absolutely don't want to get backed into the corner of capitulating to the woke mob. And so what I want to do is seize control of the conversation. I want to be proactive. I want to get out in front of the mob. And I want to make decisions that are principled that show us to be principled, that allow us then to protect and preserve Dr. Seuss's legacy. Okay, I know the woke mob is coming. We feel the tremors, we get the emails and phone calls from time to time, whatever. Let's go ahead. We, we have six titles for, that we can identify have really pretty explicitly racist imagery. You don't want to see a little black boy or a little black man who looks like a monkey. You don't want your kids to see that. You don't want your kid to think of his black neighbor or kid at school that he plays with, the monkey. And you don't want your black son or daughter or nephew or niece to open a book and see, here are normal people and also, this is you, you're a monkey. We can all agree on that. No, that's not controversial for anybody. Let's go ahead and get out in front of the mob. Let's acknowledge that these are bad images. Let's go ahead and pull those titles now and take control of the conversation so that when they come for Dr. Seuss, we're not backed into a corner. We're, we're, we're dealing with this on our own terms and still trying to protect and preserve the legacy of Dr. Seuss in the process. I, I don't know if you're us, if you're me, what do you do better? What strategic move do you make? You say, don't do anything. Well... To me, that looks like the mob's coming and the whole house is going to burn down. And you say, well, you drop those six titles and that's blood in the water. And so it shows that you're weak. And so they're going to come at you all the more. And I say, well, they're coming anyway. And so I had to make some kind of move. 
And I say, I would believe you if you'd made a tr- principled decision, say, 20 years ago. I mean, this can't have been the first time that you thought, oh, I don't know, the little black boy portrayed as a monkey might be problematic, just maybe. I mean, we've, as a, as a culture, we've, we've, we've been away from that stereotype for a good long while now. Sadly, not as long as we might like, but in other words, you had a long time to make a principled decision. Now you're making one out of fear because the mobs showed up at your door. Well, but he didn't deny that to jump on the devil's side. He never denied that. He just said, this isn't, this doesn't have to be a principled decision. It's, it's a strategic way of dealing with the mob. That's all. Well, that's where I well, disagree. What, what, I would, what I would say is, you're right. We failed and we're sorry. Yeah. We should have been principled. And even if we were being strategic, if we were more strategic, we would have, you know, forget the principles. It's just dollars and cents and mm-hmm. preserving Dr. Seuss's legacy. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, it would have been better, smarter, and not to mention more principled to have done this 20 years ago. We didn't. We failed. And so now here we are in the corner, and we've got two options. One is just wait for the mob to come for all of Seuss, and the other is try to position ourselves in such a way that we have a fighting chance of saving his legacy. And I think that's the best way to characterize what we're trying to do here. And... You can say, well, strategically, that's actually stupid. And I'd love to hear that explanation. Well, I think strategically it is stupid, actually. Because what you're doing is you're empowering the mob. You're telling them that they have power. This is actually the mm-hmm. worst time to cancel those those titles. Do it five years from now when they've forgotten about you and moved on to something else. Do it 20 years ago or 50 years ago. But we're Dr. Seuss. They're not going to forget about us. Every year... As you said on the top of the show, you have a National Literacy Day on Dr. Seuss's birthday. Every year this comes up. So it only gets worse. Okay, so do it for six months from now. Exactly halfway between two of Dr. Seuss's birthdays when the spotlight is as off of you as it's going to be. All right, I'll admit you've backed yourself into a corner. Dr. Seuss backed you into the a corner when he used racial stereotypes. And we could have another discussion about whether or not racial stereotypes are inappropriate, right? Actually, but that's not the discussion that we're having on the episode today. Let's just assume, yep. for the sake of argument, these images. And I think there's a good argument to be made. What, what little black boy needs to see himself portrayed as a monkey and the one monkey-looking person mm-hmm. in the entire book? Yeah, Doctor Seuss. We, we can argue even that Doctor Seuss was still a great guy, and that he was. We, we can have all kinds of discussions one way or another about this, but forget about. We can those. all agree that's objectively bad. We can all agree that that's objectively bad. Okay, fine. You have to deal with it one way or another. It's too bad you didn't already deal with it. Here's the thing: you're empowering the mob. You're just simply empowering the mob. You are saying, if you come for us, we will capitulate. And so I'd say, yeah, you should do this as quietly as possible. There, there are actually other We're ways. Afraid of you. That's what. Yeah. Your argument, I'm still CEO of, mm-hmm. your argument is that we just said, we're afraid of you. And so it is blood and it's an invitation to attack and take us all the way down. If, if we're using the shark metaphor and we're all, all on a boat and we're motoring away from Jaws as quickly as we possibly can, then what you've said is, well, I can't actually stand on the principle that no one should be fed to the shark. Shark. So, Harold, you've got a gimp leg and nobody likes you. You get fed to the shark. 
Well, now Jaws has a taste for blood, and and now you've given up your principles. But my my metaphor, I would tweak that metaphor, and I would say, no, we're on a cargo ship. Jaws is coming after us, and we've got some worthless cargo, mm-hmm. and we need to lighten the load so that we can outrun this shark. And maybe if we can lighten the load in a way that also distracts the shark and sates his appetite and slows him down, we have a chance at a clean getaway. And so we're talking about titles that nobody cares about here, except... Arguably Mulberry Street. Mulberry Street. Yeah. Right? And it's just worthless cargo that's slowing us down, that's in the way, that is exactly the kind of thing that the shark loves to eat best. Let's get it off the ship. Let's let the shark devour it, hopefully slow the shark down and speed us up. I don't, from my perspective, see it as throwing off a weak crew member. I see it as throwing, it off, throwing off cargo that's a liability. Okay, so let me give you that and say, okay, fine. Just don't think that you're, you've escaped from the shark. Like, the shark's still coming for you. Maybe you slowed it down a little bit. Maybe you didn't because sharks actually don't have a taste for cargo that much. I mean, this is Jaws. He's got a wide maw. This is Moby Dick, actually. He okay. He ate Mulberry Street, but he really wants the ship. Yeah. Let's let's say I don't believe in the principle. Let's say I see that Moby Dick is probably going to get me one way or another, and so I just thought this was my best chance of staying alive a little bit longer and waiting for holding out hope for a hero. Well, then you're a rank pragmatist, and you're also probably a pagan, and good luck with that strategy. I wouldn't recommend that any of our listeners employ it in any other <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> place because, in their life. Because giving ground that way, it does just empower the shark. It makes him excited. Makes him stronger. It makes him stronger. It makes him faster. It makes him think that the and next it, goal it is endang- achievable. It endangers, even if I escape, endangers right. any other number of people and things the, the, the other ship other number of ships in the sea the, the, i think the, right. the real metaphor is the mob and you think about the french revolution and you think about how they guillotined these people and then they guillotined these people and you think about how it ended up guillotining everybody including the people that built the guillotine that's the metaphor right you're saying guillotine him yeah not me the mob isn't principled and yeah. isn't coming after our races images the mob just wants to see the world burn. Including, I mean, right. and, and eventually they'll eat their own entrails. Ajaz eats himself. I mean, that, yeah. that, 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 is, yeah. that is the irony. <laughs> yeah. We're mixing men- metaphors know. faster <laughs> than a, a Cuisinart. <laughs> <laughs> faster than a Cuisinart? <laughs> In a shark's maw! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're all mixing, kinds of, all kinds of mixing metaphors. metaphors faster than a Cuisinart and a shark's maw. <laughs> <laughs> That's the money quote for the episode. I think this episode is called A Cuisinart in a Shark's Okay, mom. so I think if I can step out of that. You're not the CEO of Susan Enterprises No, I'm just anymore. Jake now. Yeah. Okay, I made a good defense from a, a, a pragmatic, strategic, I'm in a no-win situation here as head of Dr. Seuss Enterprises. Right. Stepping outside of that, the argument that, no, we're just empowering the mob here. Mm-hmm. Just make them come for Dr. Seuss is the actual... That's the actual principled position to take. Right. Don't empower the mob. And, and Never empower said, the mob. By the way, mm-hmm. I can imagine somebody listening yeah. to this saying, ah, they're not really coming for Dr. Seuss. Yeah, they are. I mean, they say he's white-centric and he needs to go. He needs to be canceled altogether. They are not 
being sneaky about this sort right. of thing. It's not a conspiracy. It is let's tear down culture, and that extends to something silly and fun. Let, let me step back like into Se- let me Seuss. step back into the devil's advocate position here, please, and see if I can if I can clarify this a little bit more. I'm just a Christian businessman who mm-hmm. loves kids. I happen to be the CEO of Dr. Seuss Enterprises. I'm new to this job, and I am looking at these books. And sure, I'm a white guy, but I look at my church and I have little black boys and girls in my church and I have a, a nephew and a niece that are black. And I'm, I'm now publishing these books that have little black children portrayed as monkeys. Mm-hmm. Forget that, pulling these things. Well, here's what I would do. Can I actually say what I would do in that situation? I, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I'm asking you. I'm saying, can I step into that? into that role and actually be principled mm-hmm. and have no who cares what happens with the moke wab I, <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> who, who, who cares about the woke mob the right thing to do <laughs> the right thing to do is to take these books off the market i don't want my nieces and nephews and church members to see these books that I'm responsible for publishing, dehumanizing them. And, right. and, and wokeness has simply been the occasion for your conscience to become pricked in a legitimate way and for you to realize what you're You, c- you in. could say that. You don't even have to say that. I like Jake's analogy of the guy just got the job. He's not responsible for what the company's done for exactly. the last 80 years. We're like, putting him in the best let's, position let's, possible. Let's take that thing off the table and let's just say you have the problem now. What are you going to do with it? And what I think you need to do with it is hit it courageously and head on. And there's any number of ways that you can do that. One example of a way that you could do that is say, these images are wicked. Dr. Seuss was a man of his time. He had the sins of his time. We apologize for that. We're going to re-illustrate the six illustrations in these books because we think kids can still have fun with if, and I think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. And we stand against people who want to cancel Dr. Seuss altogether. And of course we do because we're the Dr. Seuss organization, but this was a... Dr. Seuss has been a blessing to children for decades, and we can't allow the mob to take the good away from his legacy. We all have legacies that are going to be tarnished and tainted by our own sin. So in other words, what you're saying is mob... You happen to align with a principle, and that is a principle that I believe in and that a godly man should believe in, and so I am going to apply that principle to my books in whatever way, whether we're pulling the books or we're re-illustrating them or whatever, but what I am doing is I am very clearly and vocally and loudly saying there's a difference between me and you. Me and you. Mm-hmm. I'm operating from a principle, whatever that is, and... I am not just capitulating to the mob. I mean, I think you actually can say to the mob, I'm not just capitulating to you. It, it sucks that you nobody dealt with this before you had your point. So now mm-hmm. it's muddy and I can't help that. But mm-hmm. insofar as I can release a press statement or use Twitter or social media to my advantage, I'm going to demuddy this as much as I possibly can. And I'm going to admit that I can't demuddy mm-hmm. it as much as I would have liked. It's too bad somebody didn't deal with this 30 years ago, or it's too bad Dr. Seuss wasn't a better man. Wasn't a better man. I mean, my own personal opinion as Nathan is that, yeah, Dr. Seuss was a little bit racist. Anybody ever see those those Japanese anti-war or, or pro-war, you know, the war propaganda stuff that he did? Hmm. It's crazy. 
but also we were fighting a war against Japan, so even that's that's complicated. But yeah, he used the racial stereotypes of his time in a way that could be <laughs> pretty brutal to this, the, the races under question, sure. And, and does a little Japanese kid with no context for that need to stumble across it? No. I mean, the other thing that I would do as that CEO is I would make sure these things were available for historians and scholars. I would make sure there was some forum where they were available because they're valuable mm-hmm. as artifacts. I think the same thing is true of Song of South for, for Dis- the Disney Corporation. It's stupid that they pretend like it didn't exist. They can put disclaimers all over it. They cannot put it on Disney+. Plus. They cannot do any number of things with it. They don't have to own it as a proud part of their legacy, but they do need to own it. As, as part of as legacy. a part of their legacy, yeah, they they can even say we take a principled stand against this part of our legacy. But here it is; it's part of our legacy. But we also take a principled stand against trying to pretend it's not part of our legacy. We yeah, trying, we trying, memory, trying to we don't memory hole things here. That's right. We I actually don't mind things. personally. People like to complain about all the little disclaimers on old Disney Plus or on. Oh, they put disclaimers on the Muppets. They're coming after the Muppets now. Well, okay, insofar as. The mob wants blood, and that's a way of capitulating them. Again, I don't like it, but I actually am generally in favor of let's release the thing and let's provide some context for it so that people can understand where it was coming from and when it was coming from. Why we didn't just burn it. And why we didn't just burn it, yeah. Okay, so then bringing it home to the average listener who is not the CEO of... uh, Seuss Enterprises. Of Seuss Enterprises or some legacy company that has something in their past mm-hmm. what's the principle and the takeaway well i think it's what i said at the beginning you cannot feed the mob and think that you will appease it and you cannot trojan horse virtue yeah and by trojan horsing i mean is that is that metaphor clear do i need to explain that anymore Go ahead and explain it anyway what i mean is well for example we're planting a church right now we can't pretend to be more culturally hip more nice quote unquote more whatever it is that we think people want than christ calls us to be so that we can get people in the door in the, in, in and that then we show really them are. Jesus. yeah and then we really are yeah our job is to be christ to them our job is to bring christ to them our, yeah. and we don't do that by dressing christ up in culture's clothes so yeah. that he looks better to to the culture i mean a, an obvious example that we like to pick on all the time is the gospel coalition they're always trying to find ways to speak the language of the culture, to, to give as much to the culture as they can in any given place. We like, to, to the degree, uh, we like Quentin Tarantino movies and things like that. It's, when you bait and switch the truth and when you bait and switch who you are, all you do is actually leave people feeling betrayed. Because mm-hmm. you've just not been honest and you've not been straightforward with them, right? And so when you do that, when you try to Trojan horse virtue or the truth of the gospel, what you end up doing is you end up having to make the decision of, okay, am I going to unleash the troops? Now that I've got past your defenses and I've tricked you, am I going to unleash the troops? And are you going to feel betrayed by me because I'm not what I said I was? Or am I going to feel guilty about that and keep the truth locked up inside the horse until it dies and, Mm -hmm. and no change ever happens? Nothing ever happens. We just have a beautiful Trojan horse with rotting, stinking corpses right. on the inside, right? <laughs> and and that's a lot of what, what happens with people who really feel that pressure of contextualizing the gospel. Mm-hmm. They put the truth inside their Trojan horse. They get it inside the walls past people's defenses, and they feel really bad about it, and they don't know when it's safe to open the doors because 
that army is going to still be an army and that army is still going to shock and awe and surprise and come after the heart of the city. It's going to feel like a betrayal. And it's going to feel like a betrayal. And so, yeah, the longer you've been at your workplace and everyone's been like, wow, that horse is great. (laughs) I sure do love that horse. Hey, you're a cool guy. I like that horse. The dumber you're going to feel and and, and the more like a liar. And the next thing you know, you're just a citizen of Troy. Right. Right. And every time you walk past the horse, you feel impotent and guilty and stupid. And because you know that that horse contains a whole lot of good for this city and you brought it in here and now you... What can you do? And if someone starts kicking the horse <laughs> such that the truth comes spilling out, it comes <laughs> spilling out in the most rotten. <laughs> like and then it's been moldering in there right. way possible. So, so you're probably yeah. going to be like Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones. I've been dying a little bit each day since I came in with this Trojan horse. <laughs> <laughs> Another metaphor into the Cuisinart. There we go. <laughs> so, so you just have to be willing. Think of, think of Paul in Athens, right? Paul in Athens on Mars Hill is always the great example of contextualization, mm-hmm. right? He quotes the pagan poets. He walks the city. He says, I see that you worship many gods. I saw a statue to an unknown god. But then actually pay attention to what he does. He doesn't use that to cloak or hide the truth. He then comes at the people in Athens on Mars Hill, the city of philosophers. Who, the people sit around and do nothing but discuss great ideas and he says, what you worship in ignorance, I now proclaim to you. And he starts calling them ignorant and foolish and telling them about how they don't know anything about God. He's there in, in Athens on Mars Hill among the philosophers. He, he leads in with, I, I see these things. Let me show you why you're ignorant. Couldn't possibly be calculated to actually be more offensive. But he's actually being really, this is, this is a great example of coming in, knowing the culture, and just being honest and straightforward with them. You think that you're wise here, but you're not. Because you don't know the one true God. You're, you're ignorant. In our, you, you think you're in the light, but you're in darkness. And that's his approach. So can I, can I throw one verse into a mi- the mix that I'm sure our listeners are maybe thinking of in their own devil's advocacy to segments? The to the Greeks, I've become Greeks. To the Jews, I've, be, I've become all things to all people. Yeah. What Are you saying that that's what Paul actually meant by that or how do you contextualize well if you look at without trojan horsing here's a simple principle that you see and it's complicated in our culture because we're not greeks or jews but when paul went to the synagogues he would go and attend the synagogue and then he would reason christ from the scriptures when he goes to athens he starts with what you worship in ignorance i'll now proclaim to you let me give you the big picture here about God, things that you know that are evident from nature, where he starts in Romans chapter one, right? He starts, he does start with common ground. When he goes to the Jews, he starts with common ground, the scriptures. You have this whole context, this whole history of understanding who God is and what the Bible has said and the promises and the promises and the promises. And let me show you how the promises that you have been taught are now fulfilled in Christ. We have all of this common ground to work with. I'm going to the Greek. The only common ground we got, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, in this sense that there's something I'm missing, temple to, or, uh, a temple to the unknown God or statue to the unknown God. You know you're missing something. We have all this stuff in common. He has made us not we ourselves. And he says, all right, we all know that actually that God is God. 
We all know that he doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. Deep down, you know that. And now I'm going to come to you and I'm going to lay this out for you. I'm telling you who he really is and what he's really like and why you are ignorant and why you need to know the true God as he's been revealed in Christ. And I'm going to, I'm going to make it all the way to the resurrection of the dead in this very first engagement with you. Okay, that's it. A little bit of common ground, a little bit of a starting point, but I'm driving towards Christ and I'm driving towards conviction of sin. That is what you see in Acts. So when he says to the Greek, I became as Greek to the... And, and he does, he does remove barriers, right? That's right. He doesn't give unnecessary offense. He doesn't give unnecessary offense. So uh, Timothy's a Greek. He's going to circumcise Timothy because he doesn't want to give unnecessary offense to the Jews, right? And actually you can look at Paul doing that in this same argument, right? On the one hand, he's going to be like, don't you dare cave to the circumcision party and go, go get circumcised. The gospel's nothing to you if you do that. You might as well cut the whole thing off. Forget that. That's his argument in Galatians, okay? Don't cave to the heretics. On the other hand, if I'm going to go on a journey to some place where these heretics aren't, and I want to get in to the synagogue, and I want my son Timothy to be there with me because I'm training him, and I want him to be able to be a leader in the church, it's just a little bit of flesh. Cut it off. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Whatever it takes, right? But that's not capitulation. That's just being strategic. That's, yeah. th that's being strategic. Also signaling to the Greeks that I know you. I, I, I'm paying attention. You, you have a lot of gods. You worship them here. Here I am walking around. We're communicating about where you are now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I didn't just start talking to you about God. I had an entry point. Something that we have in common. We're both worshipers. You worship a lot of different gods. So let me tell you about the true God. Yeah, if I can throw another metaphor into the Cuisinart. Please. If you're a man and you're dating a woman, you could make a really dumb mistake and be like, I'm not going to wear deodorant because she needs to know what it'll be like when I don't wear deodorant. <laughs> okay, well, I guess some Christians do that, metaphorically speaking. And we shouldn't do that. But you can also make a, mis a much more common mistake, which is to say, I'm going to cast whatever vision I think is going to catch her fancy right now because the only thing I really want to do is have sex with her. And so I'm not going to actually tell her what I'm all about. And, and what a giant waste of time and a setup for divorce and fights and conflict down the road because it turns out you are a man, you are going a place, you do have a vision, you do know what kind of woman you want. And if you're not willing to just put those things on the table, you then... You have no chance of building a house together. You have no chance of building a house together. I, 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 exactly right. And she should know. She, she, she shouldn't have and, to... And that's part of the dance. Okay, she's afraid. She's been abused. She's been in bad relationships. You are a man who's trying to carry himself with some authority. Okay, so, well, she's a little afraid of that because that's been abused in her past. Okay, should you give up your authority? No. no. Well, maybe you could apologize for your authority as much as possible because you don't want to appear harsh. That is the, I mean, that's part of this dig. Yeah, that's like what we're talking about. Maybe you could, you could capitulate to whatever her God is that's and say, right. well, actually, I, listen, I don't want to be an authority. You know, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. If you start there, but you're trying to Trojan horse the fact, and people do this, well, actually, of course, I'm in a leader, but let's let's let her get comfortable with with it first. Let's 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 try and sneak that in after we've won our heart. It's like, well, good luck with that. You got to be straightforward with people, yeah, and you got to let them figure out who you are and see the ways that you don't fit their categories. Mm -hmm. 
it's okay. You can be patient with them and bring them along, but that doesn't mean that you change who you are. Right. Right. And it doesn't mean that you hide who you are. It just means that you go out of your way to show them all sides of you. I don't know, guys. I feel like there's probably a lot of people listening that feel afraid when they hear us talking about this and whether they've articulated it or not, what their fear is that even though they know we wouldn't put it like this, they're afraid that what we're actually advocating is that Christians and particularly Christians when it comes to their morality have to be as loud and proud and belligerent as possible. And if they're not, then they are failing and are not being faithful and are capitulating to culture. And so how would we address that? The guiding principle here is actually just loving people. And there's a fake kind of love that means I never speak the truth to anybody and I lie to you about what the truth is and about who I am and what I'm about. And that's what we've been putting on blast right now. There's also a fake kind of love that is, I will cathartically proclaim the truth at all times and to all degrees without respect for who you are or where you're from or where you're coming from. Or what you actually need to hear in the moment. Because I don't actually love you. I love me. And I love feeling good about myself. And I have a a conscience that is bound to light myself on fire at all times. For the sake of the truth. So I can can just feel good about myself. It's garbage. It doesn't love anybody. Um, And and it it isn't motivated by love. So there's two sides to this. And there's a third way. Right. There's the fake love that hides the truth and feels insecure about the truth and afraid of the truth and feels it needs to dress the truth up and is always worried about how the truth is being perceived and always afraid and timid and just always hides and cloaks everything and never gets around to saying anything except for when somebody else takes the step to make it feel safe for you to do that, which almost never happens. That's garbage. And you don't get anywhere with that. There's also a kind of fake love that is always in your face with everything and it's not tempered by any wisdom or care or concern or compassion or respect to where somebody's at and what they actually need to hear in the moment isn't even concerned with how it's received mm-hmm. or if it's received i've left behind my concern for you i don't feel vulnerable set up some walls here i'm not taking any risks with you because i don't have anything invested in you because of that, because I don't have anything invested in anyone or anything except for saying the truth. I'm, I'm never taking risks. I'm never loving people. I'm just saying things into the void. And you happen to be the void that's in front of me in the moment. And that's garbage. And in both cases, it's selfishness. Yeah. Complete selfishness. Bo- both are designed to be self-protective, right. right? They're designed to protect you from relational risk. Mm-hmm. One is, I'm going to preserve my relationships at the cost of real intimacy and at the cost of the truth. The other is, well, I just won't have relationships <laughs> because I won't sacrifice the truth. I'm a man of principle. Yeah. yeah. Garbage. The hilarious <laughs> irony, though, is that if, if, if way number one is being a coward and Trojan horsing everything and never getting around to actually saying the truth, and then way number two is the excluded middle, way number two is the good way, yeah. and then way number three is being belligerent idiot that has to cathartically scream everything the hilarious thing as someone who i believe comes from a church that in its sinful fallen broken way did number two and tried to do number two and as people that are trying to plan a church and here in evansville that does number two the hilarious thing is that a lot of people haven't actually seen number two and depending on whether they're scared of number three or number one they they, they, they inevitably cast you in either camp yeah they assume you're doing 
the, the hilarious thing is that you'll get both. You'll, you'll, you're just That's trying right. in your best way to do, do number two, and you'll be accused on both sides of either being number one or number, or number three. three. I can't believe you guys are caving in everywhere. You'll get that. And then at the same time, yes. in the same week, in the same day, you'll get... You don't have any love in the way you talk. Yeah, to you guys are so hardcore. How can you... Yeah. And the beautiful irony in all of that is that number one and number three always go walk hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Because number one, Mr. I'm going to Trojan horse the truth over here, is going to have to find a cathartic place where he can be belligerent mm-hmm. and put his foot down. Usually against people who do number two. And Exactly. Yeah, a lot of times. And... Mr. Belligerent is going to have to have some place where he has some kind of relationship that feels safe. And so he's going to have some relationships where he never, ever, ever speaks the truth and never, ever knows how to deal with people in a way that has real healthy conflict. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have the guy who's like preaching at the abortion mill and who is also his home life's a wreck because because he's not capable of leading his family. Having healthy conflict with his wife. Having healthy conflict in in his own home. Right. Right. He's just impotent there. And so he's got his place of belligerating over here. And so it's it's always both both and in those places. It's I've got the places where I'm completely compromised and I can't say anything. And then the one or two places where I have to just cathartically be belligerent and put my foot down so I feel like... I'm taking a stand for truth and I'm not actually the compromised fool that I am. And if you're trying to do number two, you're still going to fail on both sides. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have the places where you're weak and you're going to have the places where you're belligerent and you're going to try to walk those lines by faith and in repentance and but with courage and zeal and recognizing that the worst possible thing is to not lead the way forward. Right. right. Mm-hmm. It's an ugly thing to do. Number one, it's an ugly thing to do. Number three, and I think I can speak with some personal experience on this. I think we all can. To fail miserably at number two is a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, it it is beautiful, and to succeed at number two is a painful thing because number one and number three are not going to give you any mercy or compassion <laughs> 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 as it happens. <laughs> Well, this really was a shark's Cuisinart of uh, <laughs> metaphors, and <laughs> maybe maybe every episode is a shark's Cuisinart. Anyway, and anyways, hey, Doctor Seuss, Doctor Seuss, yes. yes. Thanks for the discussion, Doctor Seuss. Yep. Enterprises, Dr. Seuss. and to think that it happened on Sound of Sanity. <laughs> well, you know where else it happens is Patreon.com forward slash Sound of Sanity. You can go there, give us uh, the price of a cup of coffee a month or two cups of coffee, and you can get some great bonus content. And what else should you know? Well, folks. We we should know that we do not do it without love. We do not scream it from above. (laughs) We also don't do it in a box or with a fox. (laughs) No. I mean, we sort of do it in, is a room a box? I guess we're kind of in a box right now. We do kind of do it in a box. Kind of an imperfect box. And I'm kind of a fox. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we do do it in a box with a fox. Well. At least two of us are doing it in our socks. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I'm I'm wearing socks. Is someone all not right. wearing socks? We're all wearing socks, Nathan. What is it with socks? You and socks. I don't I understand. I am a huge fan of people wearing socks and a huge not fan of people not wearing socks. Anyway, folks, uh, it's so busy. Producer Ben, producer, producer Jake, me, we all contribute to this show. And... 
go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity to support it. And yeah, until next time, stay sane.